0: Welcome to Purdue Commercial AgCast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Mitrett, director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today is Michael Langemar, professor of ag economics here at Purdue. We're going to review the results from the July Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Survey of farmers from across the nation. Each month, we survey 400 farmers across the U.S. to learn more about their perspective on the ag economy. This month's Aggie Barometer Survey was conducted from the 19th through the 23rd of July. And Michael, it was a kind of an interesting survey this month. Uh, you know, we've had two months in a row where the barometer dropped pretty sharply. This month it dropped, but very, very small drop, just a three-point drop to 134, down from 137 last month. And of course, just a couple of months ago, we were up at readings above, uh, well, in the ballpark of about 175. So we're substantially lower than that. But if you compare this month's reading to a year ago, it's still stronger than it was last July. Last July, the reading was just 118. So we're in a better place from a sentiment standpoint than we were 12 months ago, but uh, still not as strong as we were and not as positive as we were back in, uh, for example, April and May.
1: Yeah, this is the lowest index since last July. I think that's important to point out, and and we did see a uh, continuation of some erosion in nearby corn prices, and so I think that certainly contributed to the uh, to to a slightly lower
0: index. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, crop prices, especially for corn uh, and and soybeans, really peaked in that early May timeframe, and so we've kind of lost some optimism because of that. I think is probably part of what's taking place here. You know, If you look at the index of current conditions and the index of future expectations, the biggest decline was current conditions. It went from 149 to 143 this month, whereas future expectation index only dropped a couple of points, 132 to 130. So people were feeling a little less positive about the current situation. And I think you're right. I think a chunk of that was attributable to the fact that there's been some softness in the commodity prices. Even though prices are substantially higher than they were this time last year, remember we're talking about sentiment here and so from a sentiment standpoint, people don't feel as good about it as they did back in uh, uh, April and May.
1: It, one of the things that's interesting about that Jim, is the index of current conditions is still higher than the uh, index of future expectations and I think that makes sense. Uh, if you look at if you look at potential profitability uh, this fall uh, this winter, uh, it, it still looks pretty good. Uh, compared to what it might be in 22, 23, and 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 going forward, and so uh, and so, it makes sense to me that the index of current conditions is still higher, but but as you said, it's dropped quite a bit uh, from what it was in in uh, in late last year and and early this year.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, and that's something we don't usually talk too much about. Uh, you know, we had a fairly lengthy period of time when the index of future expectations was higher than the index of current conditions. Um, the reverse has been true going back to late summer, uh, early last fall, where that index of current conditions has been more positive and more optimistic than the index of future expectations. So there has been that kind of a shift. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out here as we, as we move into fall. Um, the, the positive note this month was, despite that drop in the current condition index, The Farm Financial Performance Index actually rose three points this month. It rose to a reading of 99 versus 96 last month. Now, again, that number is still significantly below where it was in April and May, but I was a little surprised that that index moved up a little bit compared, to when I, particularly when I looked at the, the other results. Michael, what was your take on that one?
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised at that. and I, But it, I do think it's important to point out is it's considerably higher than what it was last July. And so and so we're still running considerably above what we were when, when COVID uh, started in April, May, and, and June of 2020.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And just for our listeners' uh, perspective, in April, that Farm Financial Performance Index, April of 2020 was just 55, so we're up not quite 100% compared to where we were in April of 2020, but I mean much, much stronger than we were back then. Um, Farm Capital Investment Index did fall, uh, a more modest decline in the index, a little bit like the barometer of the Farm Capital Investment Index the last couple of months had dropped pretty sharply. This month it was a four-point uh, decline to a reading of 50 uh, compared to 54 last month. However, unlike some of the other things we've talked about, that index is actually below where it was in July of 2020. And I guess if there's a surprise on the capital investment index, that might be it, the fact that it's actually below where it was in, in July of 2020. What's your take on that one, Michael? This index, that
1: index it, uh, continues to puzzle me. Uh, I still think there's going to be quite a bit of capital investment uh, the rest of this year in response to fairly large a fairly large income, and so it's a little puzzling what's going on uh, with that Farm Capital Index from my standpoint.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Um, Well, We've added a couple of follow-up questions to maybe learn more about what's driving that. So the follow-up questions we've added over time, uh, one is farm machinery purchase plans in the upcoming year to learn more specifically about farm machinery. And the other one is is, to ask people about their plans for constructing uh, new buildings and and grain bins on their farm. If you look at the responses to those two questions, it does seem like we're picking up more negativity with respect to whether or not now is a good time to put up a new building or a grain bin uh, versus farm machinery. And I think that probably explains a a good bit of what's going on in that um, Farm Capital Investment Index um, for example, percent of producers that said they're going to reduce their construction of uh, new buildings and grain bins rose to 67% this month versus 61% in June. Um, there was a small increase in the percentage of producer- producers that uh, plan to reduce their machinery purchases as well. That rose to 48% from 44. Um, but So we're, we're consistently picking up a little more negativity in that buildings and grain bins category with the caveat, and that is we just started asking that question a couple of months ago, so we don't have much history on that one. We have a little more history on the farm machinery purchase uh, question. So um, I think we're gonna learn more as we collect more data on that one going forward. But um, when you think about buildings and grain bins, there's two issues that come up. One is the tremendous run up in building costs that's taken place over the last uh, 12 months, and especially maybe the last six months or so. Um, and on the grain bin side, there's an availability question. I think uh, if you tried to put up a new grain bin right now, your first challenge would be would be finding inventory that was available. So those two factors are maybe uh, are making people less optimistic about this being a good time, as opposed to saying financially it's a, it's not a good time. Is that is that's where where you're at? And there is some price inflation going on. I think it's important to point that out. You talked about the
1: construction of buildings, and grain bins. It's very obvious. Uh, there's some fl- inflation there. But I think also with machinery, uh, you know, I haven't I haven't seen so much about new machinery prices. I know they're up, but I haven't seen exactly how much. But but we both know that used machinery prices uh, are up quite a bit. Uh, there's quite a bit of demand for used machinery, and so perhaps the, some of the price increases are scaring some people away. Uh, from from new construction uh, of buildings, grain bins, and maybe even buying machinery.
0: Well, I, I, you just made a comment there that made me uh, think about the fact that we're measuring sentiment here, and we're asking people is now a good time to uh, make a large capital investment. There's probably some people that are thinking, well, this isn't really a great time because the cost is up, but I'm still going to do it. Right, and I think that's yeah. kind of what you're referring to. I think that's what we're seeing with used machinery. So every every auction report that we get, um, we keep hearing reports of record high prices on machinery that's uh, in some cases several years old, in some cases quite a bit older than that. Uh, demand at the auctions for used machinery continues to be very strong. And I think the same thing is true with the dealerships as well. So um, sometimes we get maybe some contrast between sentiment Versus what people are going to do, and I think that's one of our challenges in terms of interpreting the results here a little bit. Well, you mentioned inflation with respect to cost. Uh, we've been asking a question the last couple of months now about people's expectations for what's going to happen to farm input prices, and two months in a row, people have been telling us they expect to see some pretty large increases in input prices for uh, for farm inputs. I think. What 30, two months in a row? Thirty percent of the respondents said they think farm input prices are going to go up eight percent or more, and that's about four times, maybe a little more than four times, the average rate of increase over the last decade. What do you what do you make of that? These results are really
1: interesting. I mean, there's eighteen percent. You know, seventeen percent in June and eighteen uh, percent in July. Think think uh, prices paid are going to go up. Uh, more than 12 percent. We haven't seen th- those levels of increase for for a long, long time, and so I think this is certainly, uh, certainly, uh, you know, causing this, this sediment to be lower than it would be otherwise. I don't think there's if, any if ands, or buts about that. And it's not just cash rent. I think there's several inputs that they're that they're potentially worried about. We don't ask questions specifically about some of these other inputs but we know uh, we've talked about machinery we're going to talk about cash rent here in a little bit i think i think it's fuel it's it's its it's fuel it's repairs um services there's just a, a maybe maybe wages uh, there's quite a few inputs i think that they're worried about uh the inflation
0: yeah fertilizer seed i mean i, I think yeah, fertilizer across and the seed i across the board people are worried about that and i think i suspect that's feeding right back into that Capital investment index question that we're getting. I think that's explains some of the negativity we're picking up in that one. Um, we asked people about farmland. We, of course, we asked both a short term question and a longer term question about farmland values. There was a little less optimism this month on both of those indices. Uh, the short term value index, I think, dropped six points to a reading of 142 versus 148 last month. But before you get too carried away, you have to recognize that that's still pretty darn close to the record high. I think the record high on that index is uh, like just short of 160, maybe like 158. So we're we're coming off those record highs, but those are the highest. Still, um, I think this is the third highest reading uh, that we've ever gotten on the uh, on the index. Um, maybe the fourth highest reading on that short-term value index. And again, you know, last year this time, uh, I think the reading was 95. Two years ago at this time, it was 103. So people are still pretty optimistic about where farmland values are going. However, I have to say maybe part of the fact, part of the explanation behind that index going down a little bit could be a reflection of just how much of a run-up in farmland values we've had over the last 12 months. What, what do you think? I think that's part of it, but I think
1: there also could be something going on regionally here. Uh, you know, Sitting in the Eastern Corn Belt here, we've seen, uh, we've seen some uh, pretty strong pressure uh, for increases in, in land values. Um, and I think that's consistent across most of the Corn Belt. You start getting in North and South Dakota and Minnesota where it's been much drier, I wonder how much, how much of an increase there's going to be in some of those areas. And so, uh, and, and so I think, yes, I think part of it is there has been quite a bit of run up here. How much higher can it go uh, given where prices might be heading here in the next uh, three to five years, but also there could be some regional aspects uh, to those land values uh, that are impacting that index.
0: Yeah, you're, you're right about the Corn Belt. I mean, uh, Purdue just released its uh, annual farmland value uh, survey results last week. And I think statewide, depending on the quality of land you're looking at, the change in value from June of 2020 to June of 2021 was between 12 and 14%. That's a big increase in a one-year time frame. And uh, I think probably similar increases elsewhere and throughout much of the Corn Belt, particularly the Eastern Corn Belt, but I think to some extent the Western Corn Belt as well. So there's a couple of things going on there, but um, you know, if, if you see prices go up that much locally, you have to question in your mind, well, how much are they going to go up in the next year? And I think we're yes. picking up some of that. Um, we've been asking about cash rents for 2022, and we've been focusing this one on corn or soybean producers. Uh, so we start off with a question on the survey that asked, did you grow corn or soybeans uh, in 2021? If they said yes, then we asked them the follow-up question about what they think is going to happen to cash rent. And this is the third month in a row we've we've asked the question. And it's kind of interesting. I saw a little bit of a shift here from May to July. Um, If you look at it in May, I think, what, 43% of the people in the survey said they were expecting a cash rent increase of 10% or more for the 2022 crop year season. June and July, that dropped back to, I think, in July, it was 34%. Um, And on the other end of the spectrum, the people that think that we're going to see an increase ranging from 0 to less than 5% uh, in July fell, or let me think of this, I said that wrong. In July, that rose to 26% from 18% in May. So we're seeing a little bit of a shift. People are still expecting an increase. I think roughly half, I think it was 47% of people in the survey said they expect to see rents go up next year. but they're expecting their increase to be maybe a little more uh, moderate than what they were expecting back in May. Does that match up with your uh, interpretation There could be some
1: there. regionality going on with this question again, but, but I think this one's tied back to the what we talked about with corn prices. The fact that the, the, the ag, ag economy barometer index is down is partially due to lower corn prices uh, than what we saw in May, and I, I think that's also uh, reflective in this cash rent question. Uh, with lower corn prices they, they don't think the rates are going to be quite as, as as high as what they would have been otherwise
0: yeah i think people are pretty heavily influenced with respect to what's taken place recently in the commodity markets and of course we're just now entering the time frame when a lot of those discussions are really getting underway i think some people maybe started to make those discussions in july uh, between now and the end of the year is when a lot of those cash rent deals for the 2022 crop year will be set I think we'll probably continue to ask this question and and kind of monitor what people see taking place out there. Um, We did a follow-up survey this month or in questions with respect to solar leasing. There's been a lot of interest in solar leasing. And so uh, we decided to repeat most of the same questions from the June survey in July with a little bit of a modification. So uh, in July, 6% of all the people in the survey uh, reported having discussions with companies about solar leasing. Um, That was down a little bit from June. In June we got 9%. Um, In July, uh, this is in response to a question we didn't actually ask in the June survey, Uh, 6% of all respondents reported that one or more of their landlords were engaged in solar lease discussions with companies. So that's the first issue, first time we asked about landlords specifically. kind of matches up. So it it kind of sounds like if if a farmer is talking to a solar leasing company, there's a good chance at least one of their landlords is as well. Um, 4% of all the respondents reported that either they or a landlord have signed a solar leasing agreement. Um, On the June survey, 2.7% of the respondents reported having signed a solar leasing agreement, but that was only people reporting on signing an agreement on their own farmland. So the question was a little broader on the July survey, and that might explain the difference between what we picked up in June versus that 4%. But um, I'm going to stop right there. What, what's your take on that? Is that a lot or a little? The 4% seems to be pretty
1: high to me. I know there's a lot of interest in Indiana in particular. I mean, that's what we're more, more familiar with is the interest in Indiana. Uh, but you know, you think 4% of our, our total survey uh, which, which is representative of, of major regions in the U.S., that's a pretty high percent if you stop to think about it.
0: Yeah, and I want to caution people listening, that doesn't mean four percent of farmland. Uh, so, for example, we haven't asked anything about acreage. So, um, and I, on this phone survey, it's kind of hard to, to dig into that level of detail, but so somebody might farm, for example, a couple thousand acres, maybe they're only signed up 100 acres or a couple hundred acres. So, You can't take that 4% and translate that into acreage. But still, it it suggests there's a lot of talk out there. Um, And yeah, it strikes me as early days uh, in the solar leasing uh, arena. And I I didn't have a strong, before we started asking this question in in June, I didn't have a strong expectation as to what we would see. But that 4% strikes me as being a little higher than I would have guessed, I think. For the second month in a row, we asked people about the rates being offered and uh, that continues to be all over the map. So we've got some people telling us that they were offered less than $500 an acre. We've got some people telling us they were offered more than $1,000 an acre. And I don't wanna stress this too much, but at least on the two month survey, June and July, it looks like there might be a little bit of a trend towards those rates rising. On On this July survey, we got a, higher percentage of people reporting that they were offered more than $1,000 an acre and fewer people said they were offered less than $500 an acre. Now, given the number of people responding, it's a pretty small number, so I don't want to hang my hat too heavily on that, but that's uh, something we're going to monitor over time and see if, in fact, that's the case. Because I think last month, Michael, we talked about the fact that this is really early days. This is a market that's probably still trying to figure out where the equilibrium rental rate is, right?
1: Yeah, the fact that the prices are all over the map uh, suggests that it's early days, and we really haven't come up with the price yet.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see this uh, uh, unfold over time. Uh, and, and you indicated uh, earlier that Indiana seems like it's kind of a hotbed for this activity. That that certainly seems to be the case. I've had a chance now to, to attend some some in-person meetings for uh, the last month or so, and we've had some chances really just to visit with people informally there are a lot of discussions going on out there. And we've talked to some people that have actually signed up. Um, we've talked to some people that are, are very close to signing. So it's really interesting to see how this is moving forward. And uh, I guess the other thing that's going to be interesting to see is how this plays out, uh, not only in Indiana, but across the, the country with respect to zoning. Um, some of these projects are pretty large. and um, I suspect we're going to see some evolution with respect to the permits and the requirements that people have to meet to get approval for one of these projects, but we'll see how that plays out as well. Well, that wraps up our discussion for today. Um, for more details about the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, you go to our website, purdue.edu agbarometer. Join us for our next corn and soybean outlook webinar on August 13th at 12.30 p.m. Uh, we'll review the updated world ag supply demand estimates from USDA following the August crop report. And also we'll have the Indiana land values and cash rent survey results in uh, a webinar on August 20th. That webinar will also be at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And you can register for that webinar and get more information about it at Purdue.edu/commercialag. So I encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And on behalf of Michael Langemeyer and the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minner. Thanks for listening.